Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Today's scripture lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The word of the Lord. Twelve years ago, the session, the governing body of our church, approved a new mission statement for DPC. The previous one had been adopted in 1989. And while it was still relevant to our life as a body of faith, the question was asked, now that we were concluding our renovation project and now that we had entered a new century, do those words still characterize who we seek to be as a people of God? So in typical Presbyterian fashion, we created a task force who had a chance to look at that statement, to reflect upon it, and to see if they felt that in fact it did speak to who we were as a body of faith in the 21st century, and if not, to draft a new one for us. In the months that followed, that group spent time studying the difference between a vision and a mission statement. They looked to see how other congregations characterized their own life, and they listened to the members of our church. And the end result was the mission statement that continues to be our guiding affirmation today of our call to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love. The words draw very clearly from two of the most visible architectural features of our church, the bridge over Mechanic Street that connects our two buildings, and the steeple visible from virtually any direction as you're coming into the borough that points to as a kind of beacon for to the world around us. Our mission is more than simply maintaining those structures though, as instead those architectural images are intended to both inspire us and to point the way toward our work as a body of faith. This morning, I want to spend some time and reflect upon some of what has happened in the more than decade since we adopted that mission statement. 
It is not my intention to suggest a new group began to draft a different mission statement, for I think these words still capture well our unique place as DPC, but also our shared calling with other Christians. Still, if a mission statement is to be more than something that simply appears on our stationery or on a sign out front, we need to spend time occasionally stopping to ponder its meaning and what we are saying in it. Next week, I'm going to focus on the second half of it, of our call to be a beacon of his love, focusing primarily on what has happened during the last 12 years in terms of our mission and outreach. This morning, we turn our attention to the opening words in that statement, turning inwardly as we consider what it means for us still to be a bridge for Christ. We begin, as always, with Scripture. I will tell you that if you try to find the word bridge in the Bible, you will come up empty. I wasn't able to find it anywhere. There are a couple of notable cases for the Israelites when they cross what just moments before had been a body of water, when to have a bridge might have been more reassuring for them, and yet God chose a more dramatic means to reveal God's purposes. The word bridge doesn't appear in the passage we just heard read either. And yet I'm convinced that what that structure offers in all kinds of settings undergirds the message that Jesus delivered on that day to his first gathering of disciples. As he said to them, if another member of the church sins against you, Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. This is one of only two times in the entire New Testament when Jesus explicitly mentions the church. The other occasion comes when Peter correctly identifies their teacher as the Christ, and Jesus says to him, You are now Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. In this moment, Jesus is talking about a very real-world reality of times when members of a congregation are at odds with one another. And he speaks about how to bring about reconciliation. He starts by saying that when one has been harmed by another member, that they should begin by going privately to that person to talk to them about it. Part of what he is recognizing is that there's no need for public embarrassment if the situation can otherwise be corrected. But Jesus realizes that doesn't always work. And so he provides other steps, suggesting that they might then take one or two other members with them to speak to the one who has harmed them. If that doesn't bring about peace, then to bring the whole matter to the whole church And if even that doesn't bring about the kind of reconciliation desired, that in fact that one who refuses to repent is to be put outside the body of faith. It's tough love that Jesus is describing, telling of the importance of unity in the church. 
And so he goes on and after outlining that process, says to them, if there is agreement within the church about what should be done, that they can rest assured that it will be confirmed in heaven. And then he concludes with those words, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now, in that occasion, Jesus is clearly speaking, first of all, to the moment of when there is dissension in any body of faith. And, and so he outlines a process of church discipline, really, of how to bring about healing. And yet when he goes on to speak of the reality of his presence with us, whenever two or three are gathered, he also is lifting up those other moments when we can count on him being with us in the journey. In the times we gather for worship and turn to God in prayer, in those moments when we engage in acts of study, in fellowship and service, in all of those times, he will be present. Jesus is making clear, though, that one of the primary tasks for every disciple is to both make and mend connections. And that when, in fact, we do so, we can trust that he is present in our midst. And there is this bridge in our burrow that I think points to that same goal. Since the first day that people were able to walk across that structure, it has changed the pattern of how people come and go in our sanctuary. And it's a natural place where people stop to chat as they're going to and from Andrews Hall, whether it's for a class or to drop off or pick up their child from the nursery. The bridge has become one of the primary places where people can learn about and sign up for other church activities. It's the place where our sunshine singers will gather on a pew there just before they're coming in here to share the gift of music with us in worship. The bridge has been used for receptions and staff lunches, and it is a favorite place for a bride or groom, as they can stand there and see their guests start to arrive without being noticed. The bridge was also the location where very imperfectly I played the role of the angel Gabriel as part of our drive-through nativity 14 months ago. And as an aside, would say to you when the men are working to fill those roles this year, volunteer first for that position because it's the only part in the whole performance that is heated. <laughs> the bridge has accomplished all kinds of things for us and every word in it is significant. For it is, we are to be a bridge, a word that calls for action on our part and not just self-identification. We are to be a bridge, not the only one, maybe not even always the best one, but one way the connections are made with God. We are to be a bridge for Christ, intentionally not saying to Christ, for that would affirm some kind of exclusive role we have, which we are not declaring. And instead, a reminder that we are not doing this for ourselves, but we are doing it for Jesus. The bridge 
from the time that it is open, has enabled us to engage in all those kinds of actions as this literal reminder and opportunity to offer that gift to others. Just over three years ago, that all changed. Once this pandemic set in upon us, we could no longer gather in this building. For a period of time, we were isolated in our homes. And yet the mission of the church endured. And suddenly there began to emerge all of these kinds of creative ways of embodying the call to be a bridge for Christ. Immediately after lockdown began, we pivoted to a time of where our worship was only via the live stream. And soon thereafter, we started a three times a week online devotional that we called Bridges and Beacons. We immediately began to use tools to have classes and meetings entirely online. And that included a group of officers. Later this morning, we'll be electing another group. But the ones elected three years ago were trained and approved and ordained entirely through a computer screen. And a new members class that occurred during that period of time brought people into our fellowship, some of whom had never stepped inside our sanctuary. It was during that period of time that our music ministry had to pivot and began to pre-record all of the gifts that we have come to celebrate over the years. And our children and youth ministry also offered some unique ways of staying connected, dropping off activity boxes and Bibles, sharing in Zoom fellowship times, and placing a sign in the front yard of every child and youth connected to DPC that had a cartoon depiction of their leaders and it said, we can't wait until we can be together. We started a COVID response team to address needs that would arise. And our members donated $20,000 to help close any financial gaps that might arise. Members and officers and staff repeatedly engaged in phone calls with congregants. There were two new online groups developed, one for moms and one for dads. And there was a Facebook group called DPC Connects. In all those ways, Jesus' presence was still at work, and our members saw it and expressed their gratitude. After the first Easter, where I preached to an empty sanctuary, we pre-recorded something known as a virtual choir, and the whole service was online, I got this email back from a member who said, the opening hymn brought tears to my eyes as I saw and heard those familiar faces and voices of our church community. Another one wrote, Holy Week was particularly difficult, but I was able to feel more connected with family that I was unable to see by watching the service, knowing they were all watching it at the same time. Still, another member wrote of her appreciation. 
saying DPC has done so much to keep my new normal normal. I'm amazed at how quickly staff has explored and implemented new technology. Along with calls, emails, and online Sunday service, I now have weekly devotions and Zoom to keep me connected. Amazing. Even in those times of virtual-only gatherings, we remained a bridge as Jesus was present, and we did so even while knowing it was an imperfect substitute. It reminds me of words of a woman named Maud Adams, not a member of this church, not someone I've ever met, who made this particular comment long before the world had ever heard of COVID-19. Ms. Adams was known as someone who really appreciated her local post office because the staff there was so friendly. Just a few days before Christmas, she was waiting in line to buy some stamps. And as you might guess, the line was very long. And someone turned to her and said, well, you know, you can, you can buy stamps at the machine in the lobby. And Ms. Adams said, well, I know I can do that, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. <laughs> we knew that. And as we were able to begin in-person worship again, something that happened in May of 2021, we were still in an era of social distancing in this room. We all were still wearing masks. But I can tell you, repeatedly, at the door afterwards, people would come up to me with tears in their eyes talking about what it was like to be back in this room. A member of our reopening task force described for himself things that he'd really forgotten about the worship experience after his first time here. As he talked about the rumble in the room when the organ plays, the smell of perfume from other worshipers, hearing the laughter as people greeted one another, and the noise that would happen as bulletins would crackle or the occasional hymnal was dropped. Those were things that were part of our experience together that we couldn't find when we were only online. And in the months since, we have continued to make progress back to the kind of life we had before. We no longer require social distancing in this room. The children's message is no longer pre-recorded. The children's worship time and the nursery have both reopened. Our meetings now move to more of a hybrid model, sometimes online, sometimes in person. The choir is able to be back in the loft again, and the masks are optional, both for them and for everyone in this place. And today, for now two years in a row, we've been able to have our scouts back to assist us in worship leadership. We've come a long way. And the White House has officially designated a day in May as the formal end to this health emergency. And we all pray that we never go back to where we have been, even as we commit ourselves once more to being a bridge for Christ as we continue to move forward. For we remain a bridge for Christ still when we gather for worship, whether in this room or online, whether we take communion from one of the pastors or bread from one's kitchen at home as we offer our 
praise of God. We are a bridge for Christ still. When we welcome the stranger and we, we learn the name of the child sitting on the pew with us. Whether we fill out that prayer card or use the, the code online to pass on our concerns. We remain a bridge for Christ still when we intentionally engage in conversation with someone of a generation other than our own, when we stop to listen to what is happening in the life of someone else, and as Jesus reminds us, when we take that intentional step of seeking reconciliation with a fellow church member. In all of those actions, we are a bridge for Christ still committing ourselves to using our full energy and love once again to making those connections, both between human beings and God and this world, all in response to God's redemptive love. And when we do that, what we will see time after time is the truth of those words spoken long ago, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am with you. For which our response on this day is simply thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.